Hi, everybody. Thanks for joining us once again on Pastor Life Podcast from Pinnacle Leadership Associates. I'm David Brown, Pinnacle Associate and Pastor of the Welcome Table in Rock Hill, South Carolina. And I'm Rhonda Blevins, Pinnacle Associate and Pastor of Chapel by the Sea in Clearwater Beach, Florida. So welcome to this first of several bonus episodes in Season 3 of Pastor Life. We're calling this season Courageous Conversations. Our hope is to give pastors and clergy some tools in their pastoral tool belts for thinking about how to talk about some of the more pressing issues in our culture and in the church setting. So some of the episodes will be all about particular issues, and then in the bonus episodes, we'll explore different models for engaging in these challenging conversations. Right. There are lots of people both inside and outside of the church who are doing excellent work to bridge divisions and to have these difficult conversations in the most productive ways. And one of those individuals is Reverend Elizabeth Hagen. Yeah, Elizabeth is a pastor. She's also an author, most recently of a book called Brave Church, Tackling Tough Topics Together. Sounds right up our alley and great alliteration in that subject. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> so let's dive in and discover more about Becoming Brave Church. So Rhonda, before we get to the interview with Elizabeth, you got to be the one who interviewed her. Uh, Did you have a takeaway or something that stood out to you from this interview with Elizabeth and her brave church model? Yes, for sure. It was a great interview. I think folks are really going to enjoy it. My takeaway relates more about the approach to the work of Courageous Conversations. Um, You know, at my church, we're actually looking at how we might have these conversations um, so that we might do our little part Um, in healing the divides in our culture. But the why for Elizabeth is a little bit different. Her rationale for this work is is a deep desire for authentic community in churches. In fact, she'll read an excerpt from her book that this desire for authentic community was one of the driving reasons for her going to seminary and into the ministry in the first place. So what you're saying is that for Elizabeth, the purpose or the drive for having these conversations is is really about creating authentic community within the church or creating a community that can really embody the 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 body of christ or that can prefigure you know the, the the heavenly community or something like that it's really about developing authentic community where with your congregation it's it's a little more focused on how do we present a witness or bring people together in the larger community? How do we use these conversations as a source of healing? Yeah. And I think both goals are worthwhile. And in fact, as Elizabeth was talking, I began to, you you know, you kind of listen to your body. I began to sense a longing in myself for this, for the authentic community that Elizabeth is working towards. You know, I kind of was like, man, I, I, I want that, you know, I want that so much. Yeah, I think, and I can't remember, and I almost hate to do this in the pod, but we'll correct it in the show notes if we need to. But uh, it, it it seems like it was maybe <laughs> Rachel Held Evans that I was reading a quote from her, and she said something to the effect of, 
the, the reason that she continued to go to church and to receive communion was because sitting in those pews and, and taking in the elements of, of communion were connecting her to people who saw the world very differently from mm. her. And yeah. that she might even find herself at least in disagreement with, but maybe in conflict with. And gathering around the same table, participating in the same liturgy, there was something about that that made her whole or that I'm probably expounding, saying more than what she probably very eloquently said in a short snippet. But I'll, I'll try to find that. Yeah, it sounds like that very well could have been her. Um, a, lo- a lot of people in our community probably miss her and her wisdom. Yeah, um, absolutely. So today we have uh, Reverend Elizabeth Hagen with us, and uh, she has great insight as well. And, and her work in Brave Church and, and her other books have been very authentic. And she um, actually led her church through this process, through this model that she will share with us. And maybe this would be a model that some of our listeners and, and maybe even my church will kind of explore this model as we go forward. That sounds great, you know, to have someone who's written about this, given us a, a model, given us a framework for doing it, but that it comes out of her own personal experience. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to hearing this interview. So let's, let's go forward and welcome to the podcast, Reverend Elizabeth Hagen. Welcome to the pod today, Reverend Elizabeth Hagen. Elizabeth um, has served several churches. She's been a pastor for 15 years. She has seen and personally experienced the isolation, loneliness, and shame that remains unspoken when Christians shy away from difficult conversations. And she knew that the church could do better, so she penned two books. The first is called Birthed, Finding Grace Through Infertility. And then her most recent book is called Brave Church, Tackling Tough Topics Together. And she wrote these in order to open the door to the presence of God in difficult life experiences. And we're so grateful that Reverend Elizabeth Hagen would join us on the pod today. Welcome, Elizabeth. We're so glad you're here. Thank you, Rhonda, for having me. Um, would there be anything you would add to my introduction to tell our listeners about yourself? Well, I am also um, a mother, and that's something that um, if you heard in my first um, book that I wrote, Infertility is a big part of my story, but I'm also an adoptive mother, and um, I have a daughter who's getting ready to go to kindergarten next week, so I'm living with all the feels, but... um, Yeah, I bet. I bet. <laughs> Kindergarten, that's a big step. It the tears. Is, it is. Oh, the like tears. this whole, like, I have to go today and buy a backpack. Like, what's that? You know? <laughs> uh, I mean, I'm glad. I don't think you really do homework in kindergarten. I'm not sure I'm ready for that, you know, but um, it will. You may be, oh. a, <laughs> there may be a big surprise coming for you. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if, as long as it's like, go home and read five books with mom or something. I mean, we can do that. But um, yeah. this worksheet stuff is going to be interesting. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. Well, uh, so life of a mom of a kindergartner. So yeah, all the things. Well, um, I wonder if maybe we could begin with you reading a passage from your book, your new book um, called Brave Church. And let me just kind of um, name for our listeners that one of the reasons I invited you to be on our podcast this season is our, you know, our season is called Courageous Conversations. And Brave Church, um, the way at least that I read it, and you can tell me if maybe I'm off off 
uh, topic here, but it's a model for how churches can have courageous conversations, tough conversations together, so that we don't just have to live on the surface level, but that we can go deeper with one another. Um, And Brave Church is a model that you developed um, from that. So I wonder if you would just read a passage from the book um, to kind of give listeners a feel for what where you're coming from. Sure. Is there something you wanted me to read in particular? Um, yeah, it's on page 11. Okay. Uh, maybe through the top of page 12. Okay. Yeah. This is actually one of my favorite part of the books. Um, hey, me too. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it's from the introduction and it says, I grew up in a church that never felt real in the suburban Tennessee church of my childhood. We talked about God, Jesus, and the Bible. We talked about Christmas pageants, bake sales, and chili suppers. We talked about outreach campaigns, volunteer missions, and Sunday school, but we never talked about real life. We never talked about the parts of life that made us sad, scared, angry, or ashamed. The father who went to jail on domestic assault charges later reappeared in the church as if nothing happened. The woman who joyfully announced a pregnancy didn't say a word when her baby died in utero. The teen who attempted suicide returned to youth group and the youth minister offered no lessons on living with depression. What happened outside the church walls stayed outside a polite church conversation, especially if it might make people feel uncomfortable. We kept our exchange light and casual. We smiled. We put away our struggles when we pulled out our Bibles. We checked our heartaches, our messy, complicated lives at the church door. I became a pastor because I wanted to be a part of a brave community. When people, when asked to explain to seminary mission staff why I wanted to study theology, I could only say that I believed there was another way of doing church than I knew. I believed that Jesus cared about my worst moments as much as he did my best. I believed that Jesus loved me in all my mistakes and in my confusion. I was tired of the fake smiling, the shallow conversation. I was tired of hiding my painful experiences and sitting in silence when I disagreed with the majority opinion. I became a pastor because I wanted the church to be authentic. I wanted the church to be a place of unconditional welcome. I love that. And I, you know, I don't, I don't know how other pastors feel, but that resonates with me so much that I want so much for the church. And I think a lot of us, when you know, we had when we went to seminary, we had all these great ideas about what what that would mean for us and how impactful we would be on the church. So I wonder, now that you've been a pastor for fifteen years plus, um, has that been your lived experience? Have you found a way to create that authentic community that you so longed for in thinking about going to seminary? Well, of course, things are never as you think they might be in seminary, right? Like (laughs) you're studying like uh, the verb tenses of this Greek text and you think, oh, this is going to be so (laughs) useful when I write sermons every week, right? But that's not always the case. But, you know, I think um, the trajectory of churches that I've been able to be a part of um, and the places I've been called to serve have 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 lived into this ideal. I mean, I'm not saying that they've been perfect or haven't been on a learning curve. Um, but I, I don't know about you, but I have colleagues and they don't really say it like this, but it's, it's, it's there, right? Like they're on some sort of um, stair stepping 
career trajectory, right? Like they want to go to this kind of church and then they'll Mm -hmm. go to a bigger church and then they'll go to the biggest church or, you know, they'll have their doctorate and they'll be the fancy denominational leader one day. And I'm not saying those aspirations aren't good, but for me, I never wanted to be that kind of pastor because I wanted to be a part of congregations where I felt like the people were with me and that they were there was something about the way they related to each other, no matter if I was there or not, that was um, on the edge of authenticity, that they were, you know, and you can tell a whole lot about where a congregation is often in the prayer requests that they share or how they talk to each other after church. You know, I mean, I've done a lot of guest preaching related to this book in the past couple of weeks, and I've been in churches where no one talked to me or my family or, or, you know, you, you, you see them kind of not really talking to each other and you think, oh, I don't, I wouldn't, I would not want to come back here, you know? Um, and, but then you've seen, I've been in, you know, you're in churches where people are conversing with each other and, you know, you're hearing things in prayer request sharings, you know, beyond just people who are dealing with grief or with illness, but people that are dealing with maybe more, some more challenging situations in their family, um, or with their children or with their spouses. And, and, you know, when somebody gives me a piece of their real life, you know, when we're, you know, talking with each other, both, you know, publicly or privately, you know, if I see someone crying in a, in a service and, you know, we want to, and we chat about, I mean, like that stuff just feels like I'm at home, you know, and I'm at home because I know that I can be, I, people get that I want to be that too. And, and, um, you know, like I was saying in the passage I read, I grew up in a church that wasn't like that. Right. And um, I just never understood why we had these personas we had for church. And um, it does get messy, right? When you're a part of a more authentic congregation, you know, because you're going to have people talking about addiction um, or you're going to have people, you know, in a spiral of, you know, maybe depression. You're going to have people who, who share things that you think, oh my God, why did you share that sometimes, you know, (laughs) but at the same point, I'm like, bring it on because, um, the more I think vulnerability as Brene Brown says, vulnerability begets vulnerability and beautiful things can happen. Um, so yeah, I, I've been a part of some really cool, um, authentic churches. Um, and, and, um, I'm, I'm glad that, um, I'm glad for every every church that's invited me into their story. Um, yeah, it's just a beautiful thing. I had an experience as a younger minister. Um, someone invited me to their AA meeting, Alcoholics Anonymous, and I went. And I was so moved by, you know, just the authenticity in that room. There, are, there is no pretense in AA meetings, right? Um, and then something tragic happened to that friend who had invited me. And I was there with her in her home. Um, It was a tragic loss of a child, okay? And I was there with her that day when we found out um, some some of her closest friends were. And the folks from AA came by. And it was so real, and it was so raw, and it was so authentic. And then the pastor of the local Baptist church came by with his tie and he, you know, bum, ba-dum, ba-dum, and it was just not so authentic and so real. And from that moment, I've always thought that I wish that a church could be just a little bit more like an AA meeting where we're all real 
um, where there is so little pretense that we're just coming together. Um, so that's been my desire. Um, and probably a lot of other pastors would want that kind of authentic community. So I wonder what's been the response among clergy and, and maybe your, your circle of clergy friends to your, to your book, Brave Church? Well, I think um, Brave Church really kind of uh, puts a stake in the ground <laughs> for a particular way of life. And I think when you're really um, doing that, uh, there's some people who are like, uh, no, not that's not for me, right? And then there's some yeah. people who are like, yes, 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 thank goodness, <laughs> you know, you showed up. This is the uh-huh. party we've been waiting for. And I think that I've gotten both of those responses. You know, I've heard people who I've been very surprised by who said, you know, please don't talk about racism for example, or please oh, don't right. um, talk about sexuality. It's going to be a little too much. Um, you know, I'm going to lose some people. I'm not in a place to do that. Um, and, you know, I, I've, I've had, you know, people say the opposite, like, thank God we've been looking for this resource, you know, <laughs> right. for a long time. But, you know, I, I, I'm getting more comfortable, I think, as a leader um, in putting this work out in the world, knowing that it's just not a non-negotiable for anymore for me anymore. I, I, you know, these are issues. Um, if we talk about infertility and miscarriage, if we talk about domestic violence, mental illness, racism, and sexuality, these are issues in which people are dying. (laughs) Um, and that lives could be saved if we talk about them. I just don't have a lot of patience for people saying it's not the right time. We can't know, because it's a human issue. You know, these are stories of and pain of people who are already in our pews. Um, and they're being, these stories, if we don't make space for conversation for them, they're being suppressed and people feel like that their God somehow loves them less because they're not allowed to bring their whole selves to church. And, right, yeah. and that, it just sobers me to no end. And it's, you know, we talk about a lot, the work of bringing the good news and, um, being the gospel for those who need it, need to hear a good word. And, and this is a good word to know that, that, um, it is, it is okay to be yourself and that God loves you, you know, and in a, in a way that, um, we just often have such a hard time talking about because we get afraid of all the things that can happen when conversations get messy. But it's the only way. It's really the only way. Well, let's go into that a little bit. Um, kind of the question is, why is it so hard to create authentic community? Um, and you, you named fear. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what, what, what's the risk and what's the reward? And, and how do we... Um, how do we as leaders kind of lead toward that end? Well, I mean, that's, I mean, that's a huge part is leadership, um, is it does start with us, um, as pastors or as church leaders, it starts with us being willing to take that step. Not that we, you know, vomit all over people or we share everything, you know, I know those people, I'm not an advocate for, you know, just you know, unlimited sharing, but that there are things that we can talk about in our own lives. You know, I've been upfront about my journey with depression um, with members of my congregation because it's important because they there's many of them that have, have the same struggle. And it's not that I'm any better than just because I'm their pastor. 
Um, there's a statistic that I mentioned in the mental illness chapter. It's a survey that was done by Lifeway Christian Resource, the Southern Baptist group. And you know, if Lifeway is doing this, you know, it's real serious, right? <laughs> right. And, it, and the, the study surveyed, I don't know, thousands of pastors. And they said that 98% of pastors knew that somebody in their church was struggling with some sort of mental illness, but only 12% of them had ever talked about it publicly. And I remember reading that and going, oh, my goodness. <laughs> this I is- saw that in your book. I was like, yeah. really? <laughs> yeah. I mean, and even if it's like, you know, people are having a bad day and it's slightly off, you know, like still we have a long way to go between 98 and 12. Um, so, yeah, it does start with leadership. Um, and the other thing it starts with is being OK with conflict um, and an understanding of what conflict brings. Um, I think there's a strong sense in us as pastor types to protect and preserve and to gather in community and to keep peace. And I'm not saying that those things aren't gifts, but there is time when we have to really get into things where we have to hear other perspectives that maybe make us uncomfortable and I don't know about you and your own, you know, lives of relationships, but, you know, the relationships in my life, friendships that are the strongest are those that have had conflict and we've, we found our way through it because in conflict, what happens is you hear a perspective that you may not um, otherwise have heard. And, you know, if you can emerge from a situation where you hear a new perspective, you hear something about a person that they've never shared before or that you've never shared before, ultimately what you walk away from that experience with is a deeper sense of belonging and connection. And I think that is the beautiful magic of what happens when we're creating authentic community that, you know, you, you know something about said person that you go to church with that, you know, they may, um, they, you may not know that they're biracial, <laughs> but you, you hear this story about their family and the marriages within their family and the persecution and the, the stereotypes that their grandmother dealt with and all how that created their family system just because you didn't see it, but you hear that story. And then you're going to, you know, you're going to think about how they respond to things differently and, and, and come, come to situations with a bit more grace and kindness. And, um, uh, you know, I, I think, we can do a lot as leaders to welcome healthy conflict, which I know it's like all the pastors listening to this going, no way, no way. <laughs> but healthy conflict um, can give us some amazing gifts. Yeah. Healthy, healthy conflict. <clears throat> uh, that's not an oxymoron. What? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, you know, I'm a conflict avoider. Um, you know, I think a lot of pastors are probably conflict avoiders we're good at keeping the peace or we wouldn't be in our jobs for very long. So, so that is, that's a good challenge for us to find ways and, and find the gift in, in conflict um, perhaps. Well, in this season of our podcast, we're looking at several models for how church leaders can kind of go there, you know, how, how we can actually pull people together around difficult conversations, people who sometimes may be, you know, on opposite ends of the idea spectrum. Um, and so I consider Brave Church a model for how to hold these courageous conversations. Would you agree, first of all, and if and if so, would you describe your model for how church leaders can can go there? Sure. 
Yes, um, it is. It is. And it, I, I believe there's one essential ingredient that goes with courageous conversations, in particular one that goes with Brave Church. And that is you have to have an open heart. Hmm. Um, and not everybody has an open heart, you know. And I think there's people who have said, you know, I want to do this with my church, but I just don't know, you know. <laughs> I don't, I can't make these people do this. And I'm like, well, if you're making anyone do anything, then that's gonna, that's not gonna be a good, <laughs> a good start. Um, but with an open heart, um, I, I encountered this research that came out of New York University. It was a, a group of college um, educators who were working with students in particular around issues of racial justice. And what they found is that conversations were just not moving. This whole idea of safe and brave spaces that, you know, people were retreating to their safe space of people who thought like them, looked like them, did things like them. And they were never actually moving any conversation forward because they kept going back to people who were just like them. And I think, I said, oh my goodness, this is the church, right? Like we, we talk about the church as being a safe space. And that's a good thing. I mean, churches were created in the first century, right? Because Christians were fleeing persecution and they wanted to be with other like-minded people who believed at the same things about God and worshiped the same way and had communion. And, you know, that's, we want churches to be safe or sanctuaries, right? Like people come right. and hide in our churches sometimes, right? <laughs> but, you know, I think that churches can be brave when we set aside intentional spaces um, like this research advocated for. And then I just kind of applied it and adapted it into what I understood um, from my own faith experience. Um, and so what it, it asked us to do is to set aside, um, you know, a, a special time for a group of people, six to uh -huh. eight people would be a great start. We well, have some ground rules called brave, and I'm going to call them brave church rules, uh -huh. where you uh, covenant together, much like, you know, you do with you start a small group, but it's more than just, you know, having confidentiality or, you know, just general peacekeeping or respect of, of, of others. It's some intentional things that you're going to do with each other um, in that time that's going to help bring out voices and respect voices that sometimes are not heard. Right. So would you like to hear more about what those rules are? Yeah, I think that'd be great. Okay. So um, there's five things and we've kind of, I've kind of talked through some of these already, but the first one is to accept conflict and commit to the way of kindness, knowing that conflict's not bad, um, not uh, the process of agreeing to disagree, which is what we love in church um, or in the world. Um, agreeing to disagree is a way to say, well, I don't want to hear what you have to say. Yeah. Um, we're not going to do that. We're going to accept conflict. Um, the second is to take responsibility for how your words are received. And that goes along the, the tension of our normal practice often, which is we may preface some difficult comment with, well, just don't take this so personally. <laughs> uh, like, I mean, I don't know if it's, you've ever had anyone address you like that as a you know pastor, just don't take this so personally, but could you wear different earrings, you know, or whatever when <laughs> but, you preach? Yeah. Um, and, and this brave um, church rule that, you know, even if you're not meaning harm, you know, um, and 
you're coming from a place you think that is well-meaning, um, that if someone feels, um, has a negative feeling to what you've expressed, that you're going to take responsibility for that for them, um, which is a big deal. Um, I was actually teaching this on Wednesday night, and we spent a lot of time <laughs> on the second one. They <laughs> wanted to know, well, what does that really mean? Um, the third is that we ask permission before challenging someone's views on the subject. That, that goes along the lines of challenge is going to be important in a brave church group because right. if someone shares something and you have an experience that maybe is counter <laughs> to their story, you're going to want to, I mean, that's a good thing to share, but if you're going to talk into someone else's experience or even challenge um, their idea that they express, you're, you're going to make some space knowing that these topics, when we're talking about tough things, are often very tender to each of us. Right. You know, and, um, you know, you may know, well, Elizabeth wrote a book on um, infertility. I'm sure she wants to tell us her infertility story. Well, today I may not want to tell you my infertility story, right? Like, right. Um, yeah. Or, you know, if I'm, I know racial reconciliation is something that you and I are um, both very interested in, you know, if you're in a, um, a, a mixed race group and you're, you're talking about what it means to be a Hispanic or what it means to be a black American, you know, and you don't want to make that person be the representative of their entire racial group. Um, yeah. they may not want to talk about that experience, um, today. So we're going to ask permission before we do that. The fourth is that we graciously receive feedback if someone feels disrespected, respect for you. I wish it, we could just understand, you know, other people's brains, but it's not possible. Right. You know, respect for you does not look like respect for me. And that the last is we would um, use I statements instead of you that we would not personally attack one another. And that gets along the lines of, these are very personal topics. We're going to talk about ideas. We're not going to talk about people and people's choices in a way that make others feel like we're um, degrading them in any yeah. way. Yeah, yeah. Those sound like, you know, perfect ground rules. And of course, the I statements is psychology 101. Exactly. That's, that's almost the building block for the, for the whole thing. Well, you actually um, led a, would you call it a pilot project at the mm -hmm. most recent church that you served? Well, yes. what, what would be your biggest takeaway from that? From that experience oh, of leading so this in church, I, I was, um, you know how it is when you're a pastor, you're kind of multitasking all the things. And so I did a right. summer when I was writing this book in 2019. Um, I was the um, pastor of the Palisades Community Church in Washington D.C. at the time, and so um, every Sunday we we were doing Brave Church um, together. And so I was sharing with them my research and. And the scriptures, each chapter starts with scripture and prayer. And that was a part of our service for that day. I mean, you could actually adapt this. I mean, I know it's supposed to be a small group, but I, I taught it in a kind of informal worship series for the summer. Um, all that to say, I got a lot of great feedback about, um, I'd learned things about my congregation and I had been there a couple of years. So they weren't like new to me, but I had people come forward who said that they had experienced domestic violence and I had no idea. Mm -hmm. I had people talk about, you know, their experiences of racism that I didn't expect would talk about that. Um, and the coolest thing that happened was the afterwards. 
was that it really kind of stirred up stuff for this congregation that they wanted to like keep doing it. So one of the things that uh, came to me um, after we did, for example, the domestic violence um, week where we talked about that, I had people that said, we know domestic violence awareness month is in October. Why don't we get a speaker (laughs) to come and talk about, you know, the, the experience of what domestic violence looks like in our community. Why don't we celebrate that? Why don't we put up posters about statistics and hotlines in the bathroom? And, you know, I had somebody made us all ribbons that were purple that we all wore that month. You know, I had it on my stole and, you know, and, and that kind of spiraled. Then I ended up having these conversations about domestic violence with the preschool staff who shared our building, you know, and they're like, why are all these posters? And, you know, (laughs) like we're trying to be a brave church and, you know, and so it was cool because, uh, when you're a pastor, oftentimes you you have big ideas and you think, oh, I'll just create this new thing. But, you know, when it comes from your people, it's huge. And um, that's one thing that happened for us. And, you know, I hope that um, the church in the Palisades continues to talk about domestic violence. And I, I think it will because they, they realized, I think, in hearing one another's stories that it's something that really does connect with so many of their stories. And they want yeah. people to, to feel less alone. Yeah, I love that. I, my congregation, I've, I've got a group of leaders and we're talking about kind of how to go there, you know, how to have these courageous conversations. And we're exploring models, including Brave Church. And and uh, just between you and me and everybody listening, <laughs> uh, one of my fears as the pastor is, okay, we can kind of control this original, you know, we can have the ground rules and have these conversations. What I'm concerned about is you know, doing this, do we open Pandora's box? You know, where are they going to want to go after this? And am I going to be, you know, able to follow them Mm. if they want to go in, uh, in different, in directions that maybe I don't think the church or maybe I'm not ready to go in. Uh, Was that ever a concern of yours? Or am I too, am I just chicken? No, (laughs) no, of course. I mean, I think it's, um, you know, it, I think the kind of what you're uh, hitting on the letting go of control, I think is a really important um, point um, to hit because you know, I remember even when I was teaching this for the first time, I had my tidy little, you know, lesson plans of like, and I'm going, you know, this is where we're going to end and this is what you're going to, you know, this is where we're going to be. And I think that this whole idea of, of listening to them, it took the book and it took are us in some different directions because where I thought they were was not where they were or things I thought resonated didn't. And, you know, I just always try to go back to this. Um, and I know if we get, um, a couple steps ahead in our planning, it can be quite difficult, (laughs) but in the moment, you know, I think that if we have people in a church who are in the same room together in person, Thanks be to God for vaccines. You know, if we have (laughs) people in the same room together who are talking about things, um, you know, from the heart, um, I certainly can't control the outcome of that. But I do think that we're going to reap some just beautiful benefits of more loving community, more um, authentic relationships and a deeper sense of commitment to the greater mission of the church. And so, um, you know, I, I... I hope that Brave Church works in many in many congregations that they go through it as it's planned. But you know what? I, I'm really not even tied to that. If I just hear about a church that's 
setting aside sacred time for intentional conversations and somehow Brave Church got them to that moment, I'm, I'm thrilled. Yeah. Um, what, even yeah. if they, they didn't do what I asked them to do, you know, in the, <laughs> in the lesson, in the leader's guide, like, fine, I, I, that's totally fine. Um, because I think the Holy Spirit is always at work in, in us and in our um, communities and that we just have to take some baby steps with each other and yeah. um, see what happens. Yeah. Yeah. I tell my congregation, there is no courage without fear. There is no bravery without fear. And so my fear um, may mean that I need to muster a little courage, a little bravery to lead a brave church. Well, you talked about taking baby steps together. And that's something I've been talking with my church, uh, this group that I'm working with, um, that, that maybe at our church, we're not quite ready to just jump in and have a big conversation about race, for instance. So we've talked about how do we wade in? You know, what are the baby steps? What what are what's the low hanging fruit? That kind of the the easiest way to kind of get into some difficult difficult conversations. And so we're kind of thinking about this in terms of phases. And like phase one would be the baby steps, the easy easier conversations. Go a little deeper. Go a little deeper. Would Brave Church be kind of phase one? Would it be somewhere in the middle, or is it kind of the the last stop on the difficult conversation tour? Well, I say any leader or pastor knows their community better than I do. And so I, I you you would decide, you know, you read the book first and you think, yeah. can they handle this? But let me tell you, I do, I do believe in that principle of baby steps. I really do, which is why I organize the chapters of the book the way it is. So it starts with the first topic is infertility and miscarriage. And I do that because while it's kind of, it still is a taboo subject and in our culture, it's something that statistics tell us that one in eight couples will struggle in America with infertility and between 10 to 15 pregnant, uh, 10 to 15% of all pregnancies will end in miscarriage. So it's like, we all know someone, even if it's not us, you know, we all know a story. And so I think that that's, it's, it's a model, you know, you start with something that's a little bit easier because we all have access to it, you know? Um, and, and whereas the last chapter of the book is sexuality, you know, and so we may not all have a relationship, for example, with a person who's transgender that may still be for many people, like something they've seen in the news or on TV or read some prototype of, which is, you know, I think it's terrible, but you know, we, we just don't have that personal relationship. Um, and so I think there's, there's spectrum in between. And what I say to people who are considering doing this book as a study is pick, pick and choose, you know, what, you know, your church, maybe you've already tackled one of these tough topics before, or maybe one of these tough topics would just throw your people over the edge. And I don't want that to happen. Um, start with, start with a topic that you've seen people wrestle with, or you've heard stories, um, you know, is below the surface and, and, and go there first. Um, that, that, that kind of intentionality of how you, you set up conversations um, can be a real big gift to the process. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, the, the five topics that you picked for Brave Church were infertility and miscarriage, mental illness, domestic violence, racism, and then, like you said, sexuality is the fifth one. Uh, were there others that, you know, other topics that kind of were left on the cutting room floor? Yes, of course there yeah. were. Uh, <laughs> so it's interesting. This book is published by Upper Room, um, you know, well-known devotional um, publisher. Um, they, they have this new, you know, more progressive-ish um, arm of, of publishing books. 
And I found out they had never published a book. Here's a fun fact on any of the topics mentioned in Brave Church. So I'm kind of their yeah. pilot. So everyone, please go buy Brave Church because we want more <laughs> books on these topics. Um, and so if uh, I did, I intentionally chose those. I mean, one that I didn't expect to be included in the book that I got really passionate about that what I needed it to be in the book was domestic violence. Yeah. Because the more I got into the research of that, there's so much bad theology that we put forth. I mean, it is so connected with what what we believe about the Bible, what we believe about relationships and how we preach and um, elevate men in church that does women such injustice when it comes to that topic. So yeah, um, that one I, I knew it had to be in, but it, as far as ones um, that got left out, I really wanted to write about abortion, but mm. I thought maybe that well, I knew it probably would mean the book would get thrown across the room um, <laughs> or thrown out. Um, I, I I would love to write a second volume. I, I heard so many um, other stories. I'd love to have a chapter on sexual abuse um, mm, yeah. as well. So um, the abortion chapter that I would have loved to have written um, because the whole I, I say this because I want it to be clear. The whole book is not like what Elizabeth Hagen thinks on these topics. I hope that you got that when you read it. Like I did. Yes. Um, you know, I tried to be as balanced as possible, citing sources that maybe I wouldn't even read in my own spare time, but I, I wanted, I wanted it to, to not be offensive to a person who was on that journey of discovery of these topics. I wanted them to stay in the conversation. So I, I worked really hard on that. Um, and I wanted to humanize people. And, and that's why I really wanted to include abortion, because I think we get so it's such a politicized topic and we have such strong opinions for good reasons on pro-life, pro-choice, et cetera, that we forget the women who actually have abortions. Yeah. And those people are sitting in our pews and we have made them into monsters. And, you know, they may be on a maybe they didn't want to have an abortion. You know, maybe they um they, they have a great sense of remorse for that, but there's never going to be a space for their stories the way that we just so don't talk about it. So, well, I look forward to volume two. Well, I, I encountered this really great <laughs> ministry. I just, since I'm talking about it, called um, Exhale, which is a non judgmental hotline. Um, it's called Not Pro Choice, Not Pro Life, Pro Voice, trying oh. to elevate the stories of women who have had abortions without any judgment. Um, because if the act has been done, right? Like you can't mm -hmm. go back and not have an abortion. Like right. let's deal with that, the, this person. And um, I really appreciated their work so much and wish more people knew about it. Yeah. 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 Well, let's uh, wrap it up. I've got one more question um, that I like to ask the people I interview. What word of advice or encouragement do you have for the pastors listening to the pod today? Well, I just want to say that I know um, because I pastored um, myself through a lot of the pandemic um, that how how much you have been through as a leader, you have been through so much, all of the becoming a televangelist overnight, figuring out how to do digital ministry, figuring out how to communicate with your people um, for whom, you know, some of them don't even know how to turn on a computer yeah. <laughs> to Facebook lives and all the things in between, um, figuring out how to wear masks or not wear masks, how to follow the CDC guidelines or not. Um, 
you you're such heroes for how you have led and anchored community for so many people's lives. And so I know that this is a tough space we're in um, right now as we're um, reopening churches in many communities, as we're maybe closing some churches because of the rise of the Delta variant as we're I'm saying this as we're recording it right now, or just confusion about how to keep our youngest members safe because vaccines are not available. It's complicated and this is traumatic. And so um, I just, I just, my hats are off to you. you. You've moved mountains and you're going to keep moving mountains. And I hope that there's some space in your life to, to find rest and peace um, as we move toward the next chapter. And um, I've had people say to me, um, I'm, I'm starting in a couple of weeks, a fall cohort of churches um, who are doing Brave Church together, which I'm really excited oh, cool. about. Yeah. And I'm going to be able to su- support them. And I have congregations who have said to me, go along with what I just said, you know, I'd really like to do this, but we're just still a little bit tired, <laughs> you know? And I get that. I totally get that. And they're like, yeah. well, check back with me at Lent. I really want to <laughs> do it then, you know? Um, all that to say, my mini commercial, if this, if, if being a part of a cohort of churches doing brave, brave church together is something that you're interested in, I'd love to talk to you about Lent um, after you get some rest, um, hopefully um, over the next couple months. But um, yeah, I know pastors have been through a lot and my hats are off to them. Yeah. Thank you for that word of encouragement. I, I felt that in my bones. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, Elizabeth, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for writing Brave Church as a gift to pastors and other church leaders and to Christendom in general. I think I think your work will bear fruit. Um, ElizabethHagen.com. Is that right? That's right. And if All you right. want to know more about Brave Church, it's just ElizabethHagen.com slash Brave Church. All right. Thank you so much, Elizabeth, for being on the pod today. Thank you for having me. Well, that's a wrap for this episode of Pastor Life Podcast from Pinnacle Leadership Associates. Thanks to Reverend Elizabeth Hagen for being a part of the pod today, for the book she's written, which is really a gift for the church in this time. You can find Brave Church and Elizabeth's other books on her website, which is simply elizabethhagen.com. And you can learn more about Pastor Life and Pinnacle Leadership Associates at pinlead.com. That's P-I-N-N-L-E-A-D.com. You know, David, I admire pastors like Elizabeth finding ways to have these important conversations. Uh, but it does take some courage, doesn't it? Yeah, it sure does. Uh, on the other hand, I'm working on a book called Chicken Church. <laughs> well, that has a nice ring to it. I'm sure it'll be a bestseller. <laughs> Hey, you know, I do what I can. 